Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, would you pray with me? God, we give you praise for what you've done. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. That though we are sinners, you made a way back to knowing you and delighting in you and glorifying you. That because the price of death has been paid at Calvary by Jesus, because your wrath against every sin, every bad attitude, thought, deed, behavior, word, God, for those who who trust in your Son, uh, your wrath has been extinguished at at Calvary, that Jesus took it all, conquered it, and on the third day, you you rose and you proved your God and that you can give life everlasting, that you really can forgive sin, that you really are worthy of our worship. And so, God, if anyone's here this morning who can't sing that song with confidence, they, they can't sing, my sins are forgiven. And my future is heaven. Lord, I pray today might be the day you would save even one. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if you would grab your copy of God's Word, we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27, and we'll begin in verse 57. You can go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and just hold your place there for a moment. Uh, we will get there. Matthew is a gospel. It's, it's a story of good news. It's, in a, it's a historical account of the life and the ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the death arresting, Satan defeating, sin forgiving king who, the, who God promised was going to come and then, then he did come. He promised his, his presence. He promised he was going to come to earth for centuries and, and then he came and, and we know that he's come. And we know we can have forgiveness of sin and life everlasting in a, a body that will never die because he came and conquered death and was raised to life on the third day. The truth that Jesus rose from the dead never to die again is wonderful news for sinners. It's wonderful news for sinners who deserve death and everlasting separation from God. The, the resurrection of Jesus means people who are spiritually dead, who are dead on the inside because of their sin and their rebellion against God, can have that forgiven, can have it wiped away and become fully alive, alive to God and His presence and His purposes in the world. How? Through faith in this crucified and risen Jesus. Not faith in your wealth, not faith in fame or status or education or your career or even being a pretty good guy but faith in Jesus. Why is it that faith in Jesus makes all the difference? It's because he conquered the grave. With his resurrection, Jesus proved he was the only one, he is the only one qualified and capable of dying in the place of all sinners and rising never to, get, never to die again. He's, he's capable of forgiving the sins of anyone who trusts in him. He, 
He didn't conquer the death for just one other person, but for all people who belong to him by faith. He, he didn't conquer death, by the way, as some sort of stunt or gimmick or trick. You've had the friend that can do like some parlor trick, right, and show up like, hey, look what I can do. I can make my arm go backwards just for fun. Jesus didn't, didn't endure the cross and the wrath of God against sin for fun. He didn't do it as some sort of joke. He did it because it was the only way for sinners to be brought back to a God they sinned against. Through the, through the risen Jesus, I'm here to announce this morning, you can be fully alive. That because of sin, even though you're breathing, if you're in your sin, you're not yet really living, but you can. And you can have true and full life, not just for a little while, but forever with God. That is the promise of the resurrection of Jesus. So the question before us this morning is this, did God really raise Jesus from the dead? Are we, are we here just making it up, or is Christ really risen? Because if Christ is risen, if Christ is alive, if He is seated at the right hand of the Father and reigning and ruling in righteousness, He will return to judge the world in righteousness as He promised, and all people will be judged based either upon their works or the works of Jesus on their behalf. And let me tell you, I want to be judged by Jesus' work on my behalf, not based on what I've done. Because just one sin against an infinitely holy God deserves separation from that God forever. But Jesus came to bridge the gap, and he proved it in his resurrection. Now, if Jesus is not raised, let's be honest. Let's go home and eat some good ham, or whatever it is you're planning on having this Sunday. But for those who have already found true life in Jesus, who, who know that Christ is risen, not just because you read it in the Bible, not just because it's some abstraction in your head, because, but because you are communing with Him by faith right now, I hope that this sermon will just fuel your fire for the gospel, that it will just let you run the race with even greater fervor and endurance because you are reminded this morning, Christ is risen from the dead. But I want to say a special word this morning to those who are here, perhaps searching for answers. Maybe you're here because you belong to someone's family that comes here, and it's just the thing you do on Easter. You're like, yes, mom and dad, sure, I'll go. And then I'll get to the ham, or whatever it is you eat. For those, for those here who are searching for answers, I pray this morning that you will see that God really did send His Son just as He promised for centuries before He came so that sinners could have their death conquered and be raised to life in Him so that you could have true, full, and everlasting life through Jesus. Let's jump in to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, beginning in verse 57. Hear with me the word of the Lord. When it was evening... There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb the next day, that's the that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I 
will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers? Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The first thing I want us to see this morning from God's Word is this. I want us to see how God is working behind the scenes to remove any reasonable doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. God is working behind the scenes to take away the doubts that we might have about Jesus' resurrection. Whenever I get to share the gospel, I run to the resurrection of Jesus as fast as I can because it it is the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity versus all other faiths, right? Find me one other religious founder who rose from the dead. Muhammad founded a religion, but he died. Confucius founded a religion, but he died. Go down the list of all the other religious leaders. Siddhartha founded Buddhism, but he died. The difference between Christianity and all other faiths is that you're not striving and trying to somehow outrun or overcome death and fail, but we have a God who came down and took our place, died in our place, and rose on the third day. There's a massive difference between Christianity and every other religion, so don't Doddle off to college and take world religions and let them tell you that Christianity and all the other faiths are a lot alike. It's a bunch of hooey. The difference between Christianity and every other faith is the difference between do and done. Every other faith is what you can do, and you can't do enough to get to God, but Jesus Christ came and he did it all. It is done. And that's good news. But it's not done if Christ is not raised from the dead. How can you have life everlasting through faith in someone who's dead? You can't. But Jesus is alive. And what amazes me is is all the hope and joy that's conveyed in the truth that Jesus is alive and you can be alive in him. And people are like, nah, he's, he's dead. What? Like, I don't care what you say, I know that Jesus is dead, and it's a fancy story, it's a fairy tale, it's a legend, it's just another religion among many. No, it's not. So why why do people reject the resurrection? We know from this text it's not based on evidence. The evidence is heavily in favor of the resurrection of Jesus. So why do people reject a risen Jesus? They do it because of the implications, right? Because if Jesus really did die for sinners and he really did rise on the third day, just like he said, guess what? We're accountable to Jesus. What we do with Jesus makes all the difference in our eternity. If Jesus is risen, all the other ways of salvation are bunk. They're a giant zero that offer no hope and make no sense because we can have life in Christ. If Jesus conquered death, he alone can solve our greatest problem. And you know what? I've found out some people like trying to figure out if they can solve their own problems, especially men. Men, men like to solve the problem. Stacy comes in, she's got an issue, and I'm listening for the solution. She's not even done talking. I'm like, I got the answer. Like, let's fix this. Any of you husbands out there resonate with that? You can't fix your sin problem. But God did. If you'll trust in Jesus. But we've got a problem. Our sin so messes us up that we want to think that we can do what we can't do. 
And it's, it's worse than that. The Bible tells us the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. In other words, the human heart, apart from God, is not neutral toward God. Instead, it's set against Him. It will even invent reasons to deny the truth about Jesus so that we think we can escape our accountability to Jesus. Romans 1.18 says this, we suppress the truth. So if you don't know and love Jesus this morning, I'm, I'm talking to you. If you're here and you're like, I'm looking for answers, I want to tell you that Jesus is the answer. And I, I'm begging of you for the next 20-ish to 25-ish to maybe 100-ish minutes, just kidding. Try not to suppress the truth. Try not to push down the truth that is embedded in this gospel story, in the Word of God, that is by God's grace, going to come out of the, the mouth and the lips of this preacher. Don't suppress it. Instead, I, I want you to pray. If, even if you've never prayed before, I want you to ask God, beg God to help you be open-minded to the truth that Jesus conquered the grave. You say, well, I am open-minded. If you're already close to the truth that it's possible that God raised Jesus from the dead, you're closed-minded. I'm asking you to be genuinely open-minded. It's amazing to me how many people say they're open-minded and say they're atheists or agnostics when it comes to God. You've already closed, to, closed the door to the reality that there might be somebody bigger than you that's over all this. That's not open-minded, that's closed-minded. So I'm asking all of you, would you just be open-minded this morning? Maybe Jesus, perhaps Jesus, rose from the dead. Are you open-minded? All right. The facts weigh heavily in favor of the truth that Jesus conquered the grave. I'm talking about the documented historical facts. David Platt writes this, There's no question, even among secular scholars who reject Jesus, that around 2,000 years ago, somehow, some way, an entirely new religious movement and community were formed almost overnight. And unlike Islam or any other faith, they didn't stay localized in one community, in one culture, but it spread like wildfire across the known world. Immediately, suddenly, inexplicably, hundreds of people started claiming that a man rose from the dead and that he gave them a whole new way of seeing and a whole new way of living, and they didn't deny that this man rose from the dead, even though they would likely die for claiming the man rose from from the dead. How did that happen? Because a man rose from the dead. His name is Jesus. A movement that comes seemingly out of nowhere and explodes across the known world. And all anybody had to do to not die was say, that guy that I said rose from the dead didn't actually rise from the dead. And then they could keep living. But instead, they went to their death saying, he died and rose again. I saw him before he died. I saw him on the cross. He went to the tomb. The tomb was empty. And then I saw him after that. He rose from the dead. Not just a few people. Not just the disciples. Paul tells us about 500 people. Some of him were still alive when he writes the letter. And he's like, if you don't believe me, I saw him on the road to Damascus. But if you think I'm crazy, then ask the crazy people in your neighborhood who said they saw him and then he died. And then they talked to him after he rose from the dead. Y'all here? All right. It's the second service. I get a little more time. Just kidding. Sort of. God knows 
God knows Jesus is going to conquer the grave before he dies. And he knows that he's going to raise Jesus from the dead on the third day. And he knows that if we're left to ourselves, our default as sinners is to be skeptics and deniers and to miss out on the joy and the life of belonging to God through a risen Savior. So what does God do in this text? I love it. He takes away our doubts. While all the disciples who have been following Jesus up to the cross abandon him, suddenly there's a guy named Joseph of Arimathea who steps up to the plate at just the right moment. Isn't that like God? Like who's going to take care of the body of Jesus? What do they do with the body of criminals crucified on crosses? They leave them there to be mocked at, and as an example, don't do what this guy did. Don't run around and claim to be the Messiah who's going to rise on the third day. You do that, you might end up dead. But instead, Joseph of Arimathea, who verse 57 tells us is a rich man, which is why he can afford a brand new tomb, verse 60, he goes and gets the body of Jesus. As a quick aside, Joseph of Arimathea is the proof that wealthy people can belong to God by faith. Jesus said, for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And people read that and they're like, well, that's impossible. If you're wealthy, you can't belong to God. Joseph of Arimathea was very wealthy. He could buy his own tomb. Jesus shows us that the camel can go through the eye of the needle if we have faith in Jesus. And what does he use his wealth to do? He uses his wealth to honor the king who died for him. He's a disciple of Jesus. In John's gospel, he's even called a secret disciple of Jesus because of his fear of other leading Jews. But his allegiance to Jesus is, is not a secret anymore. He, he's, he's on record now. I belong to Jesus. I'm with the crucified Jesus. Because, Je- because Jesus was crucified by Romans, he had to get authority from Rome to get his body. And so he asked Pilate, and then he goes and he takes Jesus' body off the cross and he, he wraps it and the race is on to get Jesus buried before sundown in fulfillment of Jewish law in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. And because Joseph takes Jesus' body and gives him a proper burial, Jesus is not just honored, and that's important. He's honoring Jesus, but, the, but there's more that's happening here. Jesus' body is placed where? In a known location. Not left to hang on a cross and decay, not thrown into a a tomb with a bunch of other criminals, but he is placed in a brand new tomb. How many bodies would be in that tomb? One. Why is that important? Because the missing body is that of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a demonstration, it's not just one body was gone, it is the body that is in question that is gone. Furthermore, after Joseph wraps him in the linen and places him in the tomb, he seals the tomb with a great stone. Turner says this, the stone would roll in a channel carved into the front of the tomb. Later, of course, the soldiers we see will come and seal it even more, making it impossible for the stone to be moved. We'll talk more about that in a moment. So the the location of Jesus' body is known and his, his body is secured. If, if we show up on the third day and there's not a body there, we got to ask why. Furthermore, there's additional witnesses to the account, right? 
We've got some attorneys in the room this morning. If one guy says, I put Jesus in the tomb and nobody else sees it, that's one thing. But Joseph of Arimathea has other people involved. Nicodemus, you remember Nick at night from John 3? Goes to Jesus under the cover of darkness and says, how can we have life everlasting? And Jesus tells him, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, whoa, I don't know about that. But Nicodemus apparently has gotten the memo because by the end of John's gospel, he's with Joseph of Arimathea bringing the burial spices for Jesus. And then in verse 61, what do we see? We see two Marys who are at the tomb to make sure that everything's done for a proper burial and so that they can return later and finish the job. So the Lord gives us a, a new secured tomb with only one body, and he gives us witnesses at the tomb who see where the one and only body of Jesus is placed. Y'all tracking? One tomb, one body, sealed up. No way there, somebody could dupe somebody. But then in verses 62 to 66, what do we see? I, I, love, I love these verses. God uses the paranoia of Jesus' enemies to give us confidence in Jesus' resurrection. The, the chief priests and the Pharisees, who couldn't agree on much of anything, they agreed that they didn't like Jesus. And they came together and said, look, Jesus predicted that he was going to rise after three days. And, and here's what's amazing to me about this. Like, none of them was like, what if he's right? What if he actually does rise from the grave in three days? Instead, they're like, of course that wouldn't happen. These are Jewish leaders. They have the Old Testament. The Old Testament again and again and again and again and again says the day of salvation is the third day. You remember Isaac and Abraham. Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. It's a test of Abraham's faith. And for three days, Abraham walks to Mount Moriah, and he's thinking, i got to slaughter my son. i got to kill my son. Maybe my son is the Messiah. Maybe God will raise him from the dead. We, you say, well, where's that in the text? Well, he said, I'm going to sacrifice you, and then we're going to come back and worship. So he's looking at his son. Maybe I've got to sacrifice Isaac, and they get on the mountain, and is Isaac sacrificed? No. Why? Because God provides a ram. On the third day, God provides a ram to take the place of Isaac, because it wouldn't be Isaac who was slaughtered like an animal to save sinners. It would be Jesus who would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in fulfillment of Genesis 22, that there would be a son who would be a lamb to lay his life down and would come to life again on the third day. This should not have been rocket scientists, science for these Jewish leaders, but instead of believing Jesus, they doubt him, they deny him, and they go to work to try and prevent what they say would be a deception. They ask Pilate for permission to secure the tomb. They ask for soldiers to secure it, and he gives them a guard of soldiers in an order to seal the tomb. And Turner writes this, these, these soldiers in the sealed stone demonstrate imperial authority over the tomb. The seal would have been clay or wax pressed into the crack between the rolling stone and the, stomb's and the tomb's entrance. And then he writes this, the imperial seal stamped on the clay signified Rome's authority, but a higher power would be arriving on the scene at dawn. For now, the Jewish leaders are happy. But little do they know, God is at work through their paranoia to give us 
confidence in the resurrection. We know that the resurrection of Jesus isn't a fraud, but a glorious fact because they were trying to prevent a fraud. The tomb is sealed and guarded. They only have to make it through Sunday, just past the third day, without Jesus' body somehow getting uh, out of the tomb, but they won't make it past Sunday. And to, to God be the glory, in their panicked worry, they have guaranteed for us that the only way Jesus' body could escape the tomb, the only way his body could come out of that tomb would be if God raised him from the dead. Let's see what happens. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So, They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee and there they will see me. This morning... If you've been a a doubter in the resurrection, a denier of the resurrection, I want to invite you, as the angel invited these women, I want to invite you to see the empty tomb. I want to urge you to hear heaven's explanation. And I want to beg you to encounter Christ and truly live. See the empty tomb. Hear heaven's explanation. Encounter Jesus and really live. As soon as the Sabbath is over, the Marys get moving, right? They, they head to the tomb. We learn in Mark's gospel, it's, it's sunrise, Sunday morning, and as they go, they're asking one another, what are we going to do about the big rock that's been sealed up by the Romans? How are we even going to get in the tomb to finish the job and anoint Jesus' body with burial spices? But as it turns out, they didn't have to worry about that big old rock. We learn in In Mark's gospel, it seems likely that as they are on the way to the tomb is when the the stone is rolled away. And there's an earthquake. It's a demonstration of God's glory, right? You go back to Mount Sinai, and there's an earthquake. You go to the resurrection of Jesus, and there's an earthquake. Because now the way and the door to behold God's presence for all sinners everywhere who trust in Jesus, it's available. And, And I love what the angel does when the stone is rolled away. If If I got to be an angel which I'm not an angel, by the way. And when you die, you don't become an angel. Just newsflash. Um, your mom's not an angel. Your dad's not an angel. Angels are angels and people are people. Um, that, that was for free. Um, but if I were this angel, I love what the angel does. After he rolls the stone away, knowing full well Jesus isn't in there, he sits on the rock. Have any of you ever 
played sports and maybe been dominant in sports. I was like one time in one race. It was great. Um, I remember that moment well. But, but the angel, like, he rolls the rock away and like, this is God's victory, right? This is the demonstration of God's victory. And he just sits on the rock like, yeah, take that. How about that? It's like, it's like God is saying, did you really think that a big old rolling stone was going to keep me from raising my son? Did, did you think that one big old rock was ever going to hold the rock of ages? So these these women see this angel sent from heaven to move the rock, and his, his appearance is fear-inducing to them. He looks like lightning, and his, his clothing is as white as snow. When I was preaching in the first service, I wasn't prepared for the cross right there in my peripheral vision that's lit up with that big white, uh, what is that, drape something on it. And, it. and the first time I turned this way and looked, it caught me in the side vision. I was like, what is that? And then I, I didn't use that as an illustration because I was trying to get over being freaked out by whatever was over here. But something much brighter than that, he looks like lightning and his clothing is as white as as snow. The angel's appearance reflects the glory of God. The the weight, the beauty, the splendor, the radiance, the awesomeness, and the, the seriousness of God is communicated by the appearance of the angel. And it is also the glory of the announcement that he's come to make. And the God that he represents that's on display. And, and here's the deal, church. When, when people hear the glorious announcement that God's Son has conquered death, there's really two choices. We, we can be like the Roman soldiers or we can, we can be like the women. And the Roman soldiers, what do they do? They, they freak out. They become like dead men in verse 4. The idea of a God who is that holy and awesome and powerful and glorious And who is therefore, because he conquered death, he's owed all of our lives. It leads some people to freak out and double down on death rather than come alive. One commentator said it this way. Those who thought they were alive now discover that what they took for life is death. Those soldiers must have been proud. They were, they were Roman soldiers. They were standing guard at the behest of, of Roman civilization and, and they are, they are the big time. We are soldiers representing the greatest empire in the known world and in world history at the time. And then an authority far greater than them shows up and they are like dead men. I'm here to tell you this morning that those who try to keep Jesus in the tomb, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, try to leave Jesus as a dead man in the tomb, they have every reason to be afraid. Because he has conquered the grave. There's an authority far greater than us. They were terrified of the angel. They're paralyzed by the fear of the glory they're encountering. And they become like dead men. So this morning, don't be like the soldiers. Please don't stand by the tomb hoping that the rock is going to stay in place as you foolishly deny all that is implied by the fact that Jesus is alive. Instead, this morning I want to encourage you to be like these women. What do these women do? They actually listen to what the angel has to say. They don't die in fear or become dead like in fear. They listen to the angel. And what does the angel say? Do not be afraid. I love that. Don't be afraid like the soldiers. Why why would the angel say that? Here's why. Because so many people, when they get close to the the God of glory who had to step down to conquer death for us, they they freak out by looking at themselves and they, they become dead because they're like, 
uh, that kind of power and holiness and authority is fearful. And it, it is, but the angel says, don't be afraid. Because there's more than that. If you'll run to Jesus instead of running away from him in fear, you can discover that he's made it possible to live unafraid. And he's done so by drawing those who will trust in him into a whole new way of living and seeing that is so compellingly true that we don't have time to be afraid. we got work to do on behalf of this risen king. So the angel tells us not to fear because, as Jesus says in John 3, 17, God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. We took care of that ourselves by sinning. We were condemned because we were sinners. But he sent Jesus into the world that we could be saved, rescued, delivered through him. To be sure that Jesus dies for sinners proves we were in a pile of eternal trouble that we sinfully brought on ourselves. But the angel says, don't fear, there's good news. Through the risen king, you can be rescued. So first, stop being afraid. If you're afraid this morning, stop it. That's what the angel says. It's literally a command. Stop it. And then the angel makes an announcement, right? We have to reckon with the facts of an empty tomb. We have to give an account and an explanation of the empty tomb. And you can come up with your story, or you can listen to God's story. I think we probably should listen to God's story. What does the angel say? I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. The angel knows what's up. He's not unaware of the crucifixion. Indeed, the angel's presence at the tomb is the very purpose of him being there. He's announcing and explaining and revealing the absence of Jesus in the tomb. And in verse 6, look at verse 6. He says simply, he's not here, for he is risen, as he said. That's good news. The angel invites the women, and God is inviting us right now to step into that formerly guarded and sealed tomb and to see the place where he had been laying. Now, I want us to understand something. The angel does not roll the stone away to let Jesus out. We see later that Jesus' body can come through locked doors and he can go from Emmaus suddenly back to Jerusalem. He rolls the stone away to let us see in. This is what God is saying to us this morning. Look into the empty tomb. See the Roman guard. See that it's sealed. See that it's the only possible tomb that Jesus could have been in. See that it was the only body was there. And then on Sunday morning, just like he said, it wasn't there anymore. See it. Are you there? He's not in there. And you've got to have an answer to that question. Where did he go? And the answer from heaven is this. Literally, he has been raised. Someone raised the man Jesus from the dead. Who who did it? Who raised Jesus from the dead? God raised Jesus from the dead. God vindicated his son through his resurrection. How do we know this morning that I'm not just crazy? I mean, I am crazy, but like, not in what I'm saying, right? How do we know that Jesus is God and can forgive sins? The resurrection. 
How, how do we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the only way to be brought back to the God we sinned against, the resurrection? How do we know that Jesus' payment of his life for our sin is accepted by God the Father, the resurrection? How do we know that Jesus is the forever king in the line of David whose throne and reign will have no end, the resurrection? How do we know that dying to ourself every day to be a blessing to others is worth it and that it isn't foolish? We know it because of the resurrection. How do we know that Jesus will one day rectify every earthly wrong and bring to peace, bring peace to his people in a renewed creation, the resurrection? How do we know that people from all kinds of cultures and backgrounds are made one through faith in this one Jesus, the resurrection? How do we know that it is right and good and joyous to worship King Jesus because he is raised from the dead? How do we know that life everlasting in a renewed body is the destination for all who believe in Jesus, the resurrection? Is that good news? Somebody should have said amen. I'll say it myself. Amen. In Acts 2.24, Peter announces that God raised Jesus from the dead. In Galatians 1.1, we learn the Father raised Jesus from the dead. In 1 Peter 3.18, we learn the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And before his crucifixion, Jesus said Jesus would raise himself from the dead. At least three times before he was crucified, Jesus said he would be crucified and raised on the third day. And his disciples didn't get it. Why didn't they get it? Because they didn't see how sinful and great their need for Christ was. And Mark 9.32 says they were even afraid to ask. And here on the day of Jesus' resurrection, where are the disciples? They're AWOL. The disciples are terrified. It blows my mind that the Jewish leaders thought the disciples would concoct a plan to steal the body of Jesus when they were freaked out and on the run and afraid they were going to be crucified. Last thing they were going to do is get caught stealing Jesus' body. But these women who had been around Jesus and in Mary Magdalene's case had been delivered from demonic possession, they're there at the tomb. And they hear the angel's announcement and they believe the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead. You say, how do you know they believe the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead? They didn't see Jesus. There's no body there, but there's all there is is no body and an announcement of the resurrection. Guess what? That's what we get to. We get no body and we get an announcement that Jesus is raised from the dead. And we know they believe because what do they do? They obey what the, annou- the angel's announcement. They obey his commands. They, they run, verse 8. The angel just says, go tell the disciples, but in verse 8, they're running to announce his resurrection to the disciples and and tell them where they can meet Jesus too. Now we know that these women and these first disciples are going to get to see the risen Jesus in the flesh, and and we know that everyone who who believes in Jesus will see him in the flesh when he returns, But, but I want to tell you, you can see Jesus right now. You can see Jesus today, and I don't mean... With your physical eyes, but I mean with the, the eyes of your heart. I mean to, to, to really see him. Do you notice what the angel says in verse 7? At the end of verse 7, the angel says, See, I have told you. The way Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 118 to see Jesus is to, to have the eyes of our heart enlightened 
that we might know what is the hope to which he has called us. There's a hope in the resurrection that we see in the hearing of the gospel. Romans 10 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. These women believe in the risen Jesus before they ever physically see the risen Jesus. This is why Jesus says to the Jews that they wouldn't even believe a man if they saw him raised from the dead if they won't listen to the gospel that's in the Old Testament. Now, I'm urging you to hear the gospel today. Many people fail to see Jesus from the heart because they never actually put down their pridefully misguided objections long enough to hear what God says about His Son. We live in a culture where where people are speaking their own voice and they're finding their own truth. Have you all heard this? God forbid. He is true and He's told us the truth. Stop looking for truth and believe what God said is true and be saved and delivered and have life in a risen king. This morning I'm urging you. If that's been you in the past, if you've been listening to the the narrative and the stories of the world that you just do you and you just do you and it'll all work out in the end, I want you to throw that phony baloney away because a risen Christ says you do Christ or you die. You do Christ and you live. Those are the choices. And if you've been dawdling around in mediocrity and thinking I've got time, I'll just put it off till tomorrow, stop it. There's an empty tomb that you've got to step into and you've got to reckon with it. You've got to step into the impossibly empty tomb this morning and you've got to hear the explanation of heaven and you can be like the dead soldiers or you can, like these women, believe in Jesus and be changed through faith in him. We, we know these women believe because they don't linger at the tomb, but they, they go tell the disciples, and, and we know they've been changed because unlike the soldiers who have a fear leading to death, look at verse 8, they depart with fear and great joy. It's a different kind of fear. It's not a terror at offending a holy God. It's a, it's a fear of awe and excitement of being brought into the life of God that, that is like, I get to know God. He's still God, but I get to know him and belong to him. How do, fear and joy. It's incredible. We don't typically think of fear and joy going together, but they belong together in the hearts of those who belong to Jesus. This is what it is to be fully alive. To know this awesome God and have the joy of belonging to him. This amazement and wonder for who God is and what he's done. Beloved, we were made to know and encounter and enjoy the awesome and weighty and infinite bigness of an incredibly good God. We were made to know His presence, to to love Him and to be loved by Him and to delight in Him. But our sin broke the connection. It separated us from God and it disqualified us from knowing and enjoying Him. But when these women learn and believe Jesus conquered the grave, they see it fear and joy mingle in their hearts and they run in God's mission. Yes, the soldiers became like dead men because Jesus conquered the grave, but the women and then later the disciples become alive like never before. Those are the options. You can double down on death this morning by trying to suppress the truth of the resurrection, or you can come alive to a fear and a joy of knowing and belonging to God unlike anything you've ever known. 
I've got good news this morning, church. Those who trust in the risen Jesus get more than a new way of thinking. They get Jesus. Look at verse 9. It's not just that Jesus has risen out there somewhere. It's just not that we're going to follow him and announce him. But, but on the way, who do they meet? Verse 9. Or maybe I should put it this way. Who meets them? Jesus meets them along the way. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you'll turn from your sin, everything you've said and done and thought that displeases God, even the stuff you don't even know that's there, but if you'll humble yourself and you'll run not away from the resurrected Christ, but if you'll run to Him in faith, He will forgive your sin and give you new life through His resurrection power. And when you do, you will encounter Christ. Those who believe in the risen Jesus He's not an abstract idea out there somewhere. We actually encounter him, and and the appropriate response is that we would worship him like these women. Worship is why we exist. It is our highest calling and delight. It is the ultimate purpose of the church to exalt and delight and worship and bow at the feet of the one whose feet were pierced for our transgressions, who died to give us a, a share in his life. So these women fall at Jesus' feet. They recognize he's worthy and exalted and great. And they fall down so that Jesus might be lifted up. To be fully alive, church, requires more than that we breathe air. We must breathe the air of the gospel. Paul lets us know what this sounds like in in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, not in myself, but in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that your testimony this morning? That the life you're living isn't even yours, it's the life of God? You say, how how can I live out the life of God in the world? By faith. Because when you believe in Jesus, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8.11 tells us, will give life to your mortal body. Through faith in Jesus, He will change your heart and unite you with Jesus such that His death counts in your place so you don't have to be accountable to die for your sin and He will raise you up in Christ to a whole new way of living and seeing and believing and delighting and worship. You can be changed today by faith in Jesus. And as I invite our worship team to come, I know that that many of you in this room, I know that many of you know about Jesus. I know that many of you didn't learn much of anything in the last 30 minutes or so of this sermon. But I'm not asking you if you know the facts about Jesus right now. I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Have you turned from your sin? Have you trusted in Him and found life everlasting through a connection that God makes by changing your heart? And I know many of you have. And the reality is we've been through, through COVID. Have you, any, any of y'all heard of COVID? No? Okay, well, it was this thing a few years ago. Uh, we stopped going to church. We put on masks. And, and here's what I've found. There's some people that never came back. Some people never came back. Some people started coming at Christmas and Easter. And maybe, maybe you're one of those people in this room, you're like, it's Easter, I guess I should go to church. Did you know every Sunday we celebrate Easter? 
Why do we worship on Sunday? Because Christ conquered the grave on Sunday. And and some of you, what you need to do in this time of response rather than sing the song is either in your seat or maybe even you want to come forward and you want to say, God, God, I need a family to worship with. I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. And yeah, I may have been coasting for three years, but I'm back. Today is my day to say I'm stepping in and I'm worshiping King Jesus like never before. I'm going to be a faithful part of his church. Some of you might need to join the church. You say, this is the team that I want to be a part of. And as we sing, you come forward. We'd love to receive you into the fellowship here at North Roanoke Baptist Church if you know Christ. And in both of those responses would be welcomed and encouraged this morning. But, but as I close, I really want to focus on a final category. So as our, our musicians begin to play, I want to ask you, for those who know that you don't yet know Jesus, why not taste and see that God is good? Are you fully alive? Have you reckoned with an empty tomb? Like those women, step into the empty tomb and ask yourself, where is he? And then hear the announcement of heaven. And after you reckon with the empty tomb, I want to urge you to reckon with your empty life. Because here's what I know. There's no career, there's no job, there's no attainment, there's no achievement, there's no deception, there's no denial that will cure the God-shaped hole that is in the heart of every man. And if you will run to a risen Savior, He will meet you where you are and you will come alive like never before. So if you've been putting off Jesus, I want to urge you with every ounce of my being, stop following your sinful heart and start following the evidence. Jesus is alive, He rose, and knowing Him makes all the difference. Why not turn from your sin? Trust in Christ and be fully alive. As you go, I, I didn't finish Matthew 28 because I wanted to let you out before 3 o'clock. But if you continue reading Matthew 28, here's what you'll discover. you got two choices. You can join the deception because the soldiers, supposedly, they made up a story that they fell asleep but somehow they knew the body was supposedly stolen. I don't know how you're asleep and you know the body's stolen. Maybe they weren't sleeping so great. And then they weren't very good soldiers because they didn't do anything to stop it. So what they do? They invented a story. They paid some bribe money to keep the story that supposedly Jesus' body was stolen. And this morning I've asked you to look into the empty tomb and, and conclude why wasn't Jesus there. The answer is either he was raised from the dead or something else. And here's the, here's the truth. If you conclude it's anything other than the resurrection, you're just joining the deception. Don't walk out of here and join the deception. Do the opposite. What happens at the end? The disciples meet the risen Jesus and he says, Go and tell everybody I've conquered the grave. Go and tell everybody how they can have life. And by the way, when you go... I'm going to go sit at the right hand of my Father. I will go with you every step of the way. Those are the choices. Get on mission or join the deception. I hope and pray you'll join the team and join the mission. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. 
You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.